It is a joy for me to be with you and uh, see, I've seen this uh, uh, beautiful chapel empty. Um, we were out here a couple of years ago and uh, Nisa and Rob showed us this beautiful place. It's so much better to see it full. Um, and there you go, that's right. Uh, but my wife is also here, Tara, who's another meaningful participate, participant in the effort of church planning and Nisa has, um, they're a team. And I hope you all know that. And that's, how, that's also how it happens. Uh, the prophet Zerubbabel, uh, through the inspiration of the Spirit, God reminded him, whoever's despised the day of small things shall rejoice. And I'm sure that many of you have thought that resurrection prez is a small thing. But today's a day of rejoicing because this is not a small thing. This is a big thing. God is doing something here. God is, some, God is doing something in you, and God is also summoning you to do something in the city of San Diego. That's part of why I wanted to come and share with you. Not only what is God doing in you, but how does he want to use you in the city of San Diego? I, I want to read from John's Gospel, chapter 14, a familiar passage. I think you have that passage also in your worship guide. Let's give our attention to God's holy word. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself and that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. In the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. This is God's holy word. Let's now ask him to bless our time together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would now be with us as we come to your word. You give us not only reverent hearts, but receptive hearts, pliable to your spirit, that we might do your work, that we might believe all that you promise and do all that you command for your glory and our deep and abiding joy. Oh God, be with us now, we pray. In your name, amen. Every summer I have the privilege of serving as a church planting assessor um, for Mission to North America. Uh, we do that usually in Atlanta, Georgia, and that is how my wife and I met Rob and Nisa. Uh, we were their assessors, and that's a grueling week for both the assessors and the planters, and I can't imagine that they would want to have anything to do with us after their time in Atlanta, but a couple of, uh, about a year after we assessed them, Rob gave me a call and said, hey, would you be interested in coaching me in the task of church planting? And I was, I was eager to help and thankful that he asked. Um, and part of the assessment process, every time we have these candidates come through, they have to give a sermon uh, sort of a brief exposition, an evangelistic exposition of Scripture that we can assess them in their speaking capacity. And I'll be honest with you, I can't remember a thing that Rob said um, during that assessment process. But this past summer, there was one candidate whose words really stuck with me. He was a Vietnamese-American planting candidate. And as he began his brief homily, he shared with us his experience of meeting his future wife, who was a southern girl from his state, the state of Georgia. On one of their early dates, they were swapping stories about how they grew up, and she shared her life growing up, a typical American uh, girl, southern teenager. She had her own room, own television, own 
telephone, you know, all of that stuff. And as he listened to her share, her growing up experience, his mind was blown because he grew up in a very different kind of experience. Growing up as an immigrant in an immigrant family, he shared his room with several other siblings. In fact, during the day, that space was a living space. And in the evening, it was his bedroom that he shared with several of his siblings. And he said that growing up, all he ever wanted was his own room, that that was the thing that he wanted. Now, now you can imagine that this young man, as he became a believer and began to read the scriptures and then came across this passage here in John chapter 14 that says to us and to him that the God of the cosmos, the, the God of all of history, time, and space is making a room. He's making a room for his people, the sinful, broken people of the world. And in an entirely different and new way, his mind was blown yet again. I think it was the late Archbishop William Temple, who said it well, he said the church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. As far as I can tell, though disturbing and a little counterintuitive, those words are biblically on target. Right? Jesus came to this world not for himself, not for those who were already with him, but those who were not. It came to join us in his presence with the Heavenly Father. Jesus, his mission was to make room for his people. That was his mission. And I don't know what it is when we come to this passage in John chapter 14. Maybe it's the theological sublime character of verse 6. We race ahead and we don't give this grand making room metaphor enough attention. Because Jesus is telling us about his mission to encourage us. But, but in fact, that's not where I want to leave you this morning. Not, not just with the encouragement of Jesus making remission, but to recognize that, that as his people, as those who've believed and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, these words not only encourage us, they enlist us. They enlist you, Resurrection Presbyterian Church of San Diego, to join him in that making room Mission. In our time together, I want us to consider three missional implications of this metaphor for the people of God. The hospitality that we offer, the relationships that we form, and the passageway that we uphold as God's people. And just, just think with me for a moment about the hospitality that we offer as God's people. At its most basic level, the imagery of making room is about hospitality, isn't it? Jesus came to make room. He came to make room for his people without room. Now in Texas, like you, we are close to that southern border and people are crossing that border, immigrants, sometimes not legally as we know. But, but they come helpless, homeless, and destitute. And yet the scripture says that even if we have all of the resources the world has to offer, that without Christ and without the gospel and without um, his favor, we are what? Strangers to God. Spiritually helpless. In fact, Paul says, without hope and without God in the world. And it's to that situation that Jesus speaks, let not your hearts be troubled, for in my Father's house are many rooms. The gospel's invitation is a sin-weary traveler that with Christ there is a home. There is a refuge. It's the most basic level. Jesus is telling us 
what we sometimes say to one another, mi casa es tu casa. That's what he's saying. My house is your house. And I've made it so. My house is ready for you. Henri Nouwen said this about hospitality. Hospitality means primarily the creation of a free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. I don't know what it is about our tradition, Presbyterians and Reformed people. We, we tend to minimize the scope, the, the vastness of God's mercy. Maybe we struggle with the Jonah syndrome, but, but um, we, we tend, to, tend to have a miserly view of God's grace. It's like that joke, maybe you've, you've heard someone tell this, but, but St. Peter was showing the newest saints around the halls of heaven and that um, they were walking through the, the various courtyards of God's people throughout history. And, you know, he was showing them the Methodists, the Episcopalians, the Baptists, the Bible church people, dispensationalists, Coptics. Or they were all there. They were walking around and, um, you know, enjoying the glad sights. And then they came across this closed door. This closed door was uh, a, a word. It just said the Presbyterians. And, um, and St. Peter put his forefinger over his mouth and he said, shh, to the crowd. He said, be very quiet. The Presbyterians think they're the only ones here. <laughs> Jesus said there are many rooms. Many rooms in the kingdom of God. What did God promise Abraham? That his descendants would number as the stars of the sky, as the sands of the shore. There are abundant rooms in Jesus' mission of hospitality, and they are protected. Right? He goes to prepare a place for you. He goes to prepare a place. You, you can imagine, going back to my friend, the church planner, this place wanted his own room and then to hear that it's protected. Peter speaks about this when he refers to our eternal rest as Christ preserving for him a place that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, kept. That's what John is saying here. That's what Jesus is saying here, that Jesus is preparing a place, guarded, protected, reserved. How great is that? That Jesus is preparing a place, keeping a place, reserving a place for us. But as encouraging as that is, I, I, I want to ask you a different question. How are you participating in that mission of hospitality? You see, that's... That's the mission of making room, to join Jesus in the mission of making room in showing hospitality to those who have no refuge in this world. What does it mean for me to participate in that mission to the stranger? What does it mean? It means that if you're the greeter standing in the back of the room, you stand with Jesus. That's not the lowest rung on the totem pole to be a greeter at church because you're joining him in that mission of hospitality saying there is room here for the stranger. It means that things like signage and coffee, donuts matter. 
It, it means that all of the small things that we do as God's people have significance in the mission of the gospel in this world as we stand guard and create safe places for those who have no places. Recently, I came across a story of Dutch filmmaker Theo van Gogh, who was tragically killed in 2004 by a Muslim radical attack in the Netherlands. And after his death, um, Muslims and Protestants all across the country were engulfed in terrorism and battles. And one particular school was bombed, an Islamic school. And it was at that point that a conservative Dutch Protestant minister did something remarkable. He lived in an immigrant community of Muslims known for not only um, being Muslim but also terrorism and radicalism in that community. His name was Pastor Keys Soprande and he went to one of the mosques in his community, knocked firmly on the door to the shock of the Muslims inside as they were gathered for worship. Um, he said, I'm going to stand guard at your door every night until the terrorist attacks stop. And he did. And then surprisingly, other Protestant ministers joined him throughout the country. And that went on as they guarded those mosques throughout the country for more than three months. Like how committed are you to communicating to the city of San Antonio, uh, sorry. <laughs> I knew I was gonna do it. San Diego, how, how committed are you to making room, standing guard, letting people know that there's a safe place and abundant room for the people in your city? What are you doing? Hospital of hospitality. Relationships. The relationships that we form, it's not just about a saving, uh, saving space, a protected refuge, Jesus' mission really isn't even about a space. You know, hospitality is saying all that I have is yours, and he is saying that, but he's saying more than that, isn't he? He's not just saying all that I have is yours. He's saying all that I am is yours. That's the gospel. All that I am is yours. As he brings us into the glorious intimacy that the Lord Jesus Christ has with God our Father, Right? But what does he say in verse 3? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And he says, take you to myself. Take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Now, now don't misunderstand me. We, we, we know our theology. We know that Jesus is aware that there will be a renewed heavens and earth. He's not speaking about some disembodied spirit, communion. He's not really even talking about a space, is he? He's talking about a relationship. The, the saving relationship that he is going to bring the people of God by virtue of that saving mission that, that because we wear the garments of our acceptance that, that are bound up in the righteousness that he gives to his people, that we will be with him before the Father. We will enjoy the sweetness of that communion. And that's profound. Right? Jesus isn't just saving spaces. Right? right? He's saving us. Bringing us into his presence with the Father. And, and hopefully that's not news for you. Hopefully that's an encouragement for you. But because as you long 
for that future refuge. You, you also long for others to enter into that refuge. You see, that's the, that, that's the tension of this passage. As we look longingly at what God is going to provide for us in and through Jesus Christ, He also calls us to lead others to share in that joyful reconciliation. Do we want others to know that? And we know from the story of Jonah, right, that sometimes God's people struggle with that. Sometimes we're content with what we have and that's enough. Right? Remember why Jonah fled? We don't really understand the full depth of Jonah's heart orientation until chapter 4. But, but when he's sent to Nineveh and the Ninevites repent, that's when we really see the full, the full display of Jonah's proud and sort of territorial vision of God's covenant grace. What does he say? Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. I knew you would do this. I knew you would save them. And I don't want that. And do you know what he says next? Oh Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than live. Wow. How proud and territorial do the people of God become over what they think is theirs? And yet God has called us to share. But what is, what, what is that? That, that, this is where all the isms come in, isn't it? The tribalism, the racism, the, the, the activism, all, all of the isms. They're all born of that fear of what we're going to lose. What are we going to lose as God's people? Cultural privilege, ethnic purity, economic political power, I don't know what, what those things are that we fear we're going to lose. And yet the model of our Savior is the one who had it all, lost it all for us, shared it all for us, that he might bring us into that glorious reconciliation of relationships that he himself had with the Father. And so at Redeemer, I say this to our people. I've been saying this since the beginning we also started small. We started in our living room. And, and I, I say to our people, even today, I said, are you open to forming a new best friend? Is there space in your life for someone that you don't know that you might allow them to participate in the hope and freedom and joy that is the gospel found in Christ? Friends, the gospel is not just doing for others. It's, right, it's being with others. It's about the relationships that we form. That's critical to resurrection prayers. It's not just the re relationships that Rob and Nice are going to form. It's the relationships that you're going to form. Right? You're planting this church. Rob's the planter, but you're planting. Okay, the third thing. The passageway. Right? Jonah wanted to die because he didn't want others to share in the glorious covenant promises of God. He didn't want God to show mercy. Jesus died 
so that mercy could be shown. Right? That's why he died. And in so doing, he became that unique passageway of making room. This is the passageway that we uphold. This is what Jesus says to Thomas. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The disciples were confused, right? They're in the upper room. This is before the crucifixion. Thomas doesn't understand. He says, Lord, how can we know the way where you're going? We don't know where you're going. They hadn't put the, put the full scope of Jesus making room mission into their minds. They didn't understand it. But this is how God was going to bring hospitality and relationship was by becoming that sacrifice for our sins, the way, the truth, and the life. This passageway, this unique passageway is the means by which that hospitality and reconciliation come to God's people. I'm sure Rob's unpacked the full meaning of that verse for y'all before. We're not going to look at all that's being said there, but, but we need to recognize this is the unique passageway to everlasting life. It's by these redeeming footsteps that we are redeemed. Which says something about our mission in the city of San Diego. So, so I came across the story of Ernest Gordon. So some of you will recognize he was a Scottish soldier in the Second World War in the Pacific Theater Later, he became the dean of chapel at Princeton University. And while he was in the Pacific Theater in the Second World War, he was captured by the Japanese and put into one of their work camps. And those work camps were brutal. And um, in one particular episode, the ranking Japanese officer said that a shovel had been misplaced. Some of you may know this story. And um, this shovel was misplaced, and unless the prisoners presented the shovel, he was going to pull one of the prisoners aside and begin shooting. And, and, and sure enough, he, he grabbed one of the prisoners, and just as he was about to pull the trigger, um, one of the soldiers stepped forward and said, I, I did it. Um, and instead of shooting the prisoner, he, he threw that prisoner aside, and then he picked up another sh uh, shovel, and he proceeded to beat that prisoner who had confessed the wrongdoing. He beat him to death. When they made their way to the next camp, the prisoners counted the shovels up and realized there was no missing, missing shovel. They just miscounted. And that, that young man had sacrificed his life for the life of another. And of course, friends, that is the nature of the gospel. And, and yet, though guilty, Christ died for us. Right? He gave himself up for us. That was the purpose of his death, to be that way, that truth, and that life. Without that sacrifice, we would not be saved. And of course, you know that. Right? We're Presbyterians. We're Reformed Protestants. We understand that it's through this passageway that salvation has come to us. But here's the thing. Unless we're zealous in announcing that passageway to those around us, they will never know. Unless we're speaking forth the gospel's good news, people will never know. And this is how we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Right? Not to redeem ourselves. We don't, through our sacrifices, save ourselves. We know that. But we do make sacrifices in following in Christ's footsteps 
that others might find that good news. That's what it means to uphold this unique passageway. It's not just about knowing it. It's about living it and sharing it with the people of our city. Our sacrifices are made in order to tell others about the salvation that's offered in Christ. This is how we make room. This is how we sacrifice. What are you ready to give up so that the people of San Diego know about Jesus? Comfort, financial resources, time, support, service, help. I don't know. There's a million ways that we do this. But in making those sacrifices, we're joining Christ and upholding that unique passageway that's found in Him. That's that's surely part of what God is calling Resurrection Press to do. Maybe this shows my age a little bit, but some of you are, you'll know this group, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Um, So my favorite song by those guys is the Southern Cross, uh, one of their later songs. And my favorite line from that song comes in the last stanza, and the easiest thing to do was fail. We never failed to fail. It was the easiest thing to do. You know, failing at our mission is always the easiest thing. It's always the easiest thing. Whether husbands, wives, sons or daughters, friends, co-workers, bosses, employees, or churches. Failing is the easiest thing to do because all you have to do to fail is what? Nothing. That's all you have to do is nothing. Here's the tricky thing, though, about being God's people. The, the tricky thing about being the church is sometimes we convince ourselves that we're, when we're when we're successful, when we think we're doing it all the right way, we still are actually failing. When we're perfect in our theology, we're pristine in our morality, we're exact in our worship, all the things that that we say that we want to be about, we end up building barriers that end up keeping out the very ones Jesus called us to reach. David Brooks, in his recent book, The Second Mountain, speaks about this. He says, I was on a journey toward God and I found out pretty quickly along the way that religious people and institutions sometimes built ramps that made it easier to continue my journey or they built walls, making the journey harder. And that's my, that's my question for you here at Resurrection Press. Are you going to be a church that builds ramps or walls? Are you going to build ramps of hospitality and relationships, sacrifices that uphold the unique passageway found in Jesus Christ that others might find their way to Christ and his making remission? Or are you going to build walls, barriers, hurdles that end up preserving what is important to you and yet preventing others? from sharing in the bounty and beauty that you found in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this world that he might make room for us, for you. How can we not join him? How can we not give it all and join him in that making room mission? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you.
that you did not hold on to your son, but you gave him up for us all, that we in him might have everlasting life, that you, Lord Jesus, did not regard the glory of heaven to be something grasped and held on to, but, Lord, made yourself nothing and set that glory aside that you might take upon yourself our flesh and subject yourself to a brutal and horrible death, that you might redeem us from the curse and brokenness of sin, that you might give us life and make room for us. Lord, I pray for Resurrection Prez that you would help them join you in that making room mission, that the people of San Diego would be reached and touched through the life-transforming and powerful message that is in Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.